Lord Jesus, we are so, so grateful for your blood that washes us white as snow, your blood that is the expression of an absolutely priceless love that we have come to know not because we sought you out and loved you first, but because you sought us, you found us, and you loved us. And we come to celebrate you this morning. We come to worship you as our Savior, as our Lord, as our God, as our Most High Prince of Peace and King of Kings. We ask now that as we open your word, you would open our minds and our hearts to receive what your spirit has penned and written. But now our desire is that you would speak to us today. Change us by the power of your word so that we will walk out of this room ready to honor you in a way we never, ever have before. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've had a good time of worship this morning, time of fellowshipping around the Lord's table. This week, we begin our Missions Fest. You heard, saw a little video by Wes Tabor, who will be our guest speaker on Sunday, but he will be here Friday and Saturday as well. As you came in, you should have all received a flyer from the, with the events of the Missions Fest this, that's coming up, and I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, please attend. We can make time in our schedules for one, um, one week when we really focus on what God is doing around the world. I would encourage you to make, uh, make a plan to attend Friday evening. Wes is going to lead us to a local synagogue where we can observe a service together. We're going to meet here at the church. He's going to give us an introduction to what that will look like, and then we'll go together to the synagogue. The synagogue is expecting us. They're welcoming us. So I encourage you to come for that Saturday morning. Wes is going to talk to us about how to reach our Jewish neighbors and friends with the gospel. Wes is a friend of mine. I met him about six years ago and have been deeply impacted by his love for the Lord and his amazing ministry to God's chosen people, the Jewish people. What an amazing time it is to be um, asking the Lord how we can better love those people that He has chosen so many years ago with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to pray as well. I hope you are praying in your homes for the people in Gaza because God loves them as well. Jesus died for all people. And in this time of tremendous turmoil, we need to be asking the Lord to help us to know how to reach out with the love of the only one who can honestly bring peace, the Prince of Peace. So I'd encourage you to participate. There's so much more in the Global Missions Fest. There's a luncheon on Sunday right after church. You do need to register for that by Tuesday because we have to know how many people are coming. So please stop by the foyer. There's a table in the foyer. You can get more information. You register online. But um, I hope that many of us will participate in Global Missions Fest this year. As we begin to open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, we want to go back to our memory verses that we're trying to memorize as a family together. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 is the first one, and then we're going to go into 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11, 
verse 1. If you have it memorized, try not to look at the screen. If you don't, feel free to look at the screen to give you a little bit of help. Let's say it together. Hebrews 11, 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Faith looks to the things that are unseen, to the things that are eternal, to the things that are more real than what we see with these amazing things the Lord gave us called our eyes. He wants us to see with the eyes of faith as well. Last week, as we were looking at Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 32, we saw how God delights in taking weak people, insignificant people, unnamed people in Scripture, and in their weakness, through their faith, making them strong. And those people we saw overcoming great odds. In fact, in those verses, verses 32 down to the beginning of verse 35, they conquered kingdoms. They escaped swords. They shut the mouths of lions. They overcame the power of fire. The women received back from the dead their children. Amazing victory through faith. But the second half of this paragraph, the second half of verse 35 down to verse 38, gives us the flip side. You see, faith often faces great obstacles. Faith often faces great opposition. And it's there that it endures. It's there that it perseveres. It's there that it is most resilient. And it's of those who face these huge obstacles and they are not delivered from the sword. They are not delivered from the fire. But the Spirit of God says of these unnamed heroes of the faith, the world is not worthy of them. You see, faith can win the victory. But faith can win the victory even when, from a human perspective, it has lost everything. Because we live by what is unseen, not what is seen. So if you have your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to begin with verse 35, 36. Let's No, it's 35. 35, where we get the conclusion of the the faith that seems to be victorious. Verse 35, women received back from the dead, their dead, by resurrection. Amazing. Their children died, and they got them back alive. That is faith that is victorious. But look at the very next phrase. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Not to this life, but to a better life. Verse 36, others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains 
and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. What a powerful phrase. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And as we make our way through Hebrews, we come to this passage of those who are persecuted and those who don't seem to, to find victory through their faith. But God says of these, the world is not even worthy of them. Tortured, sawn in two, living without clothing, having to cover themselves with the skins of animals in desert places, destitute, wandering, living in caves of whom the world was not worthy. We're not given a single name. God knows every name. We have a skewed perception of faith. And I think so often it's skewed because we have lived in a land of prosperity and peace for so long. Many of the young people in our nation have never experienced war, have no comprehension what it's like. And so we find ourselves looking through a spiritual lens of faith, saying faith must bring us prosperity. Faith must bring us a, a road that climbs the heights to the tops of the mountains. Faith must give, must give us good health. Faith must do all of these things. And yet, what does the Scripture say? Some had faith and they escaped the fire. Some had faith and they escaped the sword. Others had faith and they were pierced with the sword. Others had faith and they were sawn in two. You see, faith looks at the unseen, not the seen. While faith may overcome obstacles and it may conquer kingdoms, yes, that's the first half of this paragraph, what we looked at last week. It is often most powerfully seen when it, when it perseveres through persecution and privation. Not through abundance, not through wealth, but through the lack of. Great faith endures and thrives in the face of great opposition, of whom the world was not worthy. Can you imagine the Spirit of God saying that of you? The world is not worthy of you. That commendation comes to those who suffered greatly because of their faith. Great faith often faces great opposition. It's just the, the way it is. It's the way Scripture tells us it is. We've seen all of the things that happened to these people being sawn, being sawn, sawn in two, being stoned, being killed with a sword, not having clothing to wear, having to cover themselves with animal skins, not having a house to live in. They weren't moving out to the big new homes. No, they were living in caves and dens of whom the world is not worthy. Many of the early recipients of this letter 
would have not only remembered some of the stories from the prophets and the stories from the time of judges that we have been looking at the last few weeks, but they would have in their recent history remembered those stories. You see, they, Israel had been under the, the thumb of Babylon, then under the thumb of Persia, and then under the thumb of a broken-up Greek empire when Alexander the Great died and divided it into four parts with four of his generals, there was a horrible general that we studied when we were studying Daniel, a horrible Greek general called Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, who took over the Middle East, including Jerusalem, and he persecuted the Jews. It was from him that the Maccabees finally rebelled and threw him out. But Jewish history, just shortly before this letter was written, just shortly before the time of Christ, tells the story of one Jewish man and a woman and her seven children. His name was Eliezer. This woman with him had seven sons. And Antiochus IV captured them and killed them all. Killed them one by one, and when he reached the fourth son, a Jewish historian records him saying this to Antiochus IV, a Greek emperor. One cannot but choose to die at the hands of men and cherish the hope that God gives of being raised again by Him. But for you, there will be no resurrection to life. And he died. The Spirit of God talks about people who were sawn in two. When we read through the Old Testament Scriptures, we, we don't have a record of anyone sawn in two, but when we read Jewish history, not from the Bible, just Jewish history, Jewish historians tell us that Isaiah was sawn in two. In their history, again, not from the Bible, just their own history, they say that Isaiah had, when he prophesied that the temple would be destroyed, King Manasseh was so angry that he began to search for Isaiah to kill him. Isaiah fled up into the hill country. Manasseh sent his troops into the hill country to chase him down. Isaiah found a huge cedar tree, and it had a hollowed-out area. He hid inside of it. The soldiers found that tree, chopped the tree down, sawed it down and then pulled him out and sawed him in half. It's traditional history. But the Spirit of God says there were Christians, God's people, who because of their faith were sawn in two, and the world is not worthy of them. The world often despises those who have real faith, and it continues to do so today. We have brothers and sisters around the world who face unimaginable persecution for their faith. And they stand strong. Brothers and sisters, we should not expect, because we are Christians, because we have faith in Jesus Christ, we should not expect a life of ease. We should not expect to be famous. 
Most of these people, their names are not listed. Only God knows their names. We shouldn't even expect affirmation except from God. These people were destitute, they were mistreated, they were homeless. And when Jesus spoke to his disciples, he called them to the same kind of commitment of faith. Mark chapter 8, verse 34, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him lay himself, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Brothers and sisters, those are serious words from Jesus. And he speaks them to American Christians just like he speaks them to Christians in the Middle East or in parts of Asia or in parts of Africa where they are dying for their faith. Are we willing when we follow Jesus to take up our cross and follow him, recognizing that the cross is a place of suffering? When Paul and Barnabas were visiting churches that they had planted, Acts chapter 14, verse 22, we're told that they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And this is what they were telling them, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That's how we enter God's kingdom, through tribulations. We in the West have given ourselves a false gospel way too often, saying it's through many blessings that we enter the kingdom of God. We have blessings beyond measure. We have been forgiven for our sins. We have been blessed, and, and God blesses us. He has blessed us materially. Yes, He has. But as believers in our country, just like believers in any part of the world, we need to recognize that this, the norm is that we enter the kingdom of God through many tribulations, many difficulties. When we were in Uganda, there was a group of pastors that I was training to, to do evangelism, and they were invited to go to another part of Uganda, about four hours away from where we lived, to share the gospel. There was a small group of believers there in a primarily Muslim part of the country. And so they invited these, these pastors, pastor evangelists, to go and help them share the gospel. They went to that part of the country and they were preaching, and then I got word sent to me back home saying, you need to go help them. They've all been arrested. I got in my vehicle, drove the four hours to, to Masaka part of Uganda, and back into a very rural area and to a police post where they were all in jail, having been accused of having an unlawful assembly in Uganda, you are free to share your faith. But they were accused of an unlawful assembly because the majority of that population in that area did not want the name of Jesus ever preached. I asked the police what was going to happen. They said, well, the magistrate is coming and they're going to be taken into the courtroom. So I waited outside the courtroom and pretty soon here come my brothers in Christ, shoes removed, hands bound together so that they were walking two by two with their hands tied together walking across the courtyard with huge smiles on their faces. They walked into the courtroom, and I followed them in and sat in the back, and the magistrate asked them what they were there for, and none of them spoke English. The area we worked in, they didn't speak English. The magistrate speaks to them in English and says, where are you from and what are you doing? And they're just looking around like, 
I was the only one in the courtroom who spoke their language, and so the magistrate told me to start translating for them, and I started translating, and they joyfully shared, we come from Kasese, Western Uganda. We're here to tell about Jesus, who's our Savior. All we're doing is trying to give people peace and love. By the end of that evening, the magistrate released them. I piled them into the back of my pickup truck, and they were singing songs of joy that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. Would we respond that way? We enter into the kingdom of God through tribulations. Peter put it this way, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, I think it not, th- think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though something strange had happened to you. Don't, don't think it's strange. We have brothers and sisters around the world on this day when churches across America are remembering the persecuted church. We have brothers and sisters suffering in huge ways. I read the story recently of a sister of ours in North Korea. She's no longer living. She's been killed. North Korea, where out of 25 million people population, it's estimated there are about 300,000 Christians, but 50 to 70,000 of them are already in jail, in prison camps. This sister, the only way we know her story is because the North Korean government put together a, a video to train their state officials how to find Christians and get rid of them. And the video is about her. She was a strong supporter of the government of North Korea as a young woman. But during North Korea's great famine in the 1990s, when over two million people starved, her faith in the government of North Korea began to shake. She went to the edge of North Korea near the, the, the China border looking for help. She couldn't find the help she needed. She snuck across the China border looking for an uncle who could help her. Her uncle had died. He was in China. He had died. But she found a group of believers in China who introduced her to Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, the Savior of the world. She put her faith in Jesus. And this North Korea propaganda film training their agents how to find Christians said this woman comes back from China and she comes back across the border, but we don't understand. She turned herself in to the border agents because she said, I snuck across the border illegally and I just want to tell you I did that. They were lenient to her. They let her go because she was so poor. She obviously couldn't do any harm. And she began to move throughout North Korea sharing what she had heard in China about Jesus being the Savior of the world. She founded underground churches. She found Christians all over the country and began to encourage them. She was extraordinarily poor, but she would find little day work everywhere she went and take that money and feed the poor with it, not herself. And finally, the North Korean government says in their propaganda film, a good citizen turned her into us. They threw her into a prison camp and apparently, as far as we know, took her life. That young woman had an impact for Jesus Christ across North Korea and of her, the world is not worthy. Her faith did not lead to getting to South Korea and living in freedom. 
but by her faith, she stood for Jesus. I love the song that the group Mercy Me has been singing recently. I don't know if you've heard it on the radio, just the chorus. The chorus says this, I know you're able and I know you can save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is in you alone. Remember last week we were talking about those who were delivered from the fire? And they said to the king, our God is able to deliver us from your hand, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. Even if you don't, my hope is in you alone. Great faith often faces great opposition, and great faith endures when it faces that kind of opposition because it hopes in the resurrection to a better life. That's what verse 35 says. Right after it says that some women received back from the dead their children, then it says, and some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life, not wanting to come back to this life. They would not recant. They would not say, no, I don't believe anymore. They refused, saying, I know you kill me. I'm going to a better life. Looking for the place where the sun never sets, the place where the light of the world gives light every day, all night, all the time. This hope is so strong, these people of faith absolutely refused to compromise in exchange for relief. They were looking for a better life. And it's not just these unnamed people here, but today there are still brothers and sisters who have that same hope. I'm sure some of you heard in 2018, 2018, about a young man, an American young man named John Chow, 26 years old. When he was in college, he heard about North Sentinel Island, a small island off of India, with a group of people that had never heard the gospel. In fact, they were untouched. No one had ever been able to go onto that island and survive. John, as he prayed for them, had an overwhelming burden to share the gospel with them. When the news reported it, I remember seeing it on CNN. They said this young man was horrible in that he went to an untouched people and he was trying to corrupt them with our culture. They didn't tell his story. He had researched these people. He had trained to become a wilderness EMT so that he could help them. But more importantly, he believed that without Jesus Christ, they would go to an eternity in hell. And so John began to prepare to try to go to the North Sentinel Island. He made several trips nearby to nearby islands to build connections with people there. He said to one of his friends, these are his words, death is inevitable. I can die in a car crash, from a snake bite, from cancer. There are many ways we can die. I'm going to the island this November. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm ready. I'm ready to lay my life down for the gospel. This was just five years ago, six years ago, brothers and sisters. On November 14th, 2018, he chartered a fishing boat 
from some friends, and they took him close enough to the island to take his kayak off of the fishing boat, put it in the water, and make his way to the island. He landed on one end of the island, buried in the ground a cache of supplies so that he could come back. And then he paddled his kayak along the shoreline, hoping that some of the North Sentinelese would come out and he could give them some gifts and some fish. They came out of the woods and they began to shoot arrows at him. One of the arrows punctured his bag that had a waterproof Bible in it. And the arrow where it punctured that Bible was pointing exactly to this verse, Isaiah 65, verse 1. This is what God says in Isaiah 65, 1. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. God said, here I am, and here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. So he planned to return the next day. That night, writing in his journal, these are his words. This is what he wrote. I'm scared, Lord, yet you will be close. A little bit later, he writes this, watching the sunset. It's so beautiful. Crying a bit. Wondering if it'll be the last sunset I see before being in the place where the sun never sets. The next day, by kayak, he made his way back to North Sentinel Island. When he didn't come back out, his friends on their fishing boat went as close to the shore as they dared come, and they saw North Sentinelese burying his body in the sand. John gave his life but these are his words to his friend. If I die, who will come after me? Brothers and sisters, there are people in our country, young people, who are so committed to what Jesus called us all to do that they are willing to give their life, of whom the world is not worthy. I wonder if there's anyone in this room that would say, I will live for Jesus no matter what. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 9 says this, In this you rejoice, though for now a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, these trials test our faith to see if it's a real thing, which is more precious than gold, though it perishes, though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, that's what faith is. You love him. Though you do not see him, now you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith. And what is that? The salvation of your souls. Great faith endures and thrives in the face of great opposition of whom the world is not worthy. Is our faith that kind of faith? Lord Jesus, we bow before you as we have celebrated again your table today, remembering that you laid your life down for us and you call us to walk by faith. And for some of us, that means that we will quell the fire we will escape the sword. We will conquer kingdoms. 
And for others of us, it means that we will be pierced by the sword and we will wander in desert caves and we will be of those that your spirit would say, the world is not worthy of you. Lord, you, I am so thankful that you don't give us a single name of these of whom, whom the world is not worthy because they're known to you. And they didn't do it for us and they didn't do it for fame. They did it for you. Lord, help us to live for you regardless of the cost because our eyes are not on this world and not on this life but a much better life to come. Would you call out us to live so uniquely for you that the world would be stunned? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.